3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is there, Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on Earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let her go. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. to the Film and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about one of the best movies ever made, Raiders of the Lost Ark, an occasion for its 35th anniversary on June 12th, uh, is our pals Ryan Daly. Ryan, hi. How are you? Great. And Chris Franklin. Chris, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm very happy you guys are here because I am super, super excited to talk about this movie. This was one of the movies I've always wanted to get to on the show, but I was like, I want to do it right. I want to do it special, and this is – I figured this is the perfect time because, like I said, on June 12th, Raiders of the Lost Ark turns 35 years old. Uh, <laughs> I feel really old, but okay. We're just going to move forward with that. We're obviously not going to bother with the plot details of this movie because there is simply none of you that are listening to this that has not seen this movie and doesn't know the plot. So let's just skip right ahead. Uh, I will give a little bit on the, the, the basic history of the production in that Raiders of the Lost Ark was hatched on a beach in Hawaii uh, on a trip between, with uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg right after Star Wars had come out. And they were relaxing, and apparently Spielberg said something to the effect of he wants to direct a James Bond movie, but he was just turned down by the producers. And George Lucas said, I got something better than that. I got this thing <laughs> called Indiana Smith. And we're gonna, and it's it's a throwback to the movie serials, and Spielberg's like, oh, really? What's this Indiana Smith thing? And that was the beginning of it. And of course, that ended up morphing into Indiana Jones, which was, I think, the first day of production. They changed the name, and it it became what it became. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark again, one of the great great movie experiences of my life. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. When I was, I would have been nine. I remember my dad taking me to see it. And it just blew my mind. It just it, it buried itself under my skin and it has never left. So, guys, like, let's start with Ryan. Like, what, what's your history of this movie? When did you first see it? Well, I was born the same calendar year that the movie came out. So when you marked the 35th anniversary of this movie, that's a good way of reminding me exactly how old I am. <laughs> I would have seen it in the early 80s because we had it recorded on VHS. You know, my family used to, uh, my dad early on got two VHS, like VCR players and hooked up the wiring so that we could rent a movie or tape something off of uh, HBO or something like that and record it onto a blank cassette. And we would have like three <laughs> movies per tape and everything. Cause <laughs> back then you, could get a, you could get a six hour tape and movies weren't more than two hours like they are now. So yeah, I had it. And I, I'm thinking now I watched it really early on. It, like, the Indiana Jones movies and the Star Wars movies, but actually not all of the Indiana Jones movies. It was mostly this one and Star Wars. There were things that I watched, if not religiously, then multiple times a year. If the movie is 35 years old, maybe I've seen it 70 times. <laughs> like I can probably say on average, I watch it twice a year. But 
in spite of that, it's just something like I know the movie in my blood. I've never really done a lot of research on it. Like I didn't know all of the the backstory and the production things that that were going into this movie. You know, despite running the Temple of Doom cast that uh, that I used to host <laughs> <laughs> once upon a time back in April. But yeah, that's it. It's just it's always been part of my life for as long as I've known. Chris, what about you? Uh, I, I missed it in the theater, even though I was old enough. Again, you know, Chris didn't get seen in the theater. Uh, but, uh, I did see it probably pretty soon after it came out, uh, for rental on video because it was in the rotation, the constant rotation of movies that me and my buddies would rent that and Temple of Doom would just, you know, I mean, every couple of weeks seems like one of us would say, let's watch, you know, Raiders or Temple of Doom. So it would come home and we'd watch it and watch it and watch it again. And, and, uh, I saw the, uh, the last two movies in the theater. Uh, but so I did kind of make up for it. Uh, but yeah, I, it's just, it's just one of those perennials. I mean, there's a, you know, I, it's just one of those that you can just watch it anytime, no matter how many times you watch it, it never wears out. It's welcome. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is something that, uh, they show, uh, I've mentioned a bunch of times, uh, on the show and, and in, on my Facebook page about that I go see those uh, Cinemark Classic series, and they run Raiders at least once a year. Uh, and I will, I, I've said to my nephew who I take, I'm like, if I will see this as many times as they want to show it. Uh, if they showed it every couple of months, I'd go every couple of months. I just simply never tire of this movie. And I watched it again this afternoon in preparation, not that I needed to. It was like, you know, oh, please, twist my arm. Let me watch Raiders of the Lost Ark again. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it is it's just so effortless. It just goes down so smoothly, and you know, one of the things that I specifically am impressed by um, is, you know, this movie is credited for its great direction, and it is. It's Spielberg at his best, uh, and the the acting, and we'll get into that in terms of the characters and how they're brought to life. But the screenplay, the screenplay is by George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan. Every Lawrence Kasdan is like every to a certain group of people. Lawrence Kasdan is the greatest screenwriter in the history of cinema because <laughs> he's got his name on oh, yeah. every great movie. I mean, you just can't believe it. Um, so it's a screenplay by Lucas and Kasdan based on a story by Lucas and Philip Kaufman, who apparently was originally scheduled to direct this movie. Um, and the screenplay for this movie is airtight. Mm-hmm. It does not get enough credit because the movie is so visually rich and so funny and has the great performances. But this screenplay is so good and you do, in terms of how it's constructed i mean you have this opening scene which gives you all the information you need to know about indiana jones what kind of person he is he's smart he's brave he doesn't suffer fools gladly he hears the little cock of that guy's gun and boom out comes the whip gets that guy and then we he, the, the, he's set up with belloc okay we get the relationship here these got these are these arche, these are these dueling archaeologists that are out there doing this crazy stuff then we have the long scene in uh, the school, uh, again, which we'll get to, which to me is the single greatest exposition scene in the history of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, we, then then he goes and he meets Marion, and it's like, that's the perfect, that's exactly the perfect time when Marion needs to come into this movie. And the whole, I'm your goddamn partner scene, it just, it's it, right at the point where you're like, okay, we need a, a change of tone. Now we've got Marion in here. And then we introduce Sala. I mean, this thing is just, I, I'm so impressed by that because I think big ticket uh, budget movies nowadays, the screenplay seems to be an afterthought. You know, it's yeah. like, well, the movie's going to be released in two years. Well, it's got to be done. This thing feels like when they were done with the screenplay, it's like this thing is ironclad. You can't mess this up, Steven. And of course, it's Steven Spielberg. Apparently, the original idea behind all this, in terms of the, produ- the production and the direction, was Spielberg was coming off of 1941, and a everyone's lot- favorite, everyone's favorite, and a <laughs> lot of movie studios were really very shy on him. They thought he was kind of a two-hit wonder. They were like, okay, Jaws, Close Encounters, but 1941's garbage, and it cost us a ton of money. And apparently, it was thought of that Lucas was the one to be trusted as the producer. And they were like, well, Spielberg might get out of hand over there in Tunisia, so Lucas will run, will ride herd on him. He'll keep him under control. And that was the original idea because it was like this movie's going to be relatively low budget. I think it was budgeted, ended up being something like $20 million, which for the time was a lot of money, but not crazy. And it, you know, it was, it was meant to be kind of lean and mean, and it has that feeling uh, when I watch it again. I mean, there is not a single scene of this movie that is – Extra has some fat in it. Has this, you know what I mean? Like this thing oh, is yeah. just 
shot yeah. and edited within an inch of its life. And that is, to me, it's that's one of the reasons it holds up so well. It's this like every single beat in this movie is either a character bit that helps you understand what's going on or a plot bit. And there is no other fat in this movie. Yeah. And yeah. when you mention, you talk about like the script and everything and how tight it feels and how like just, like he just, Kazan just handed it over to Spielberg and said, do this and you'll have a perfect movie. <laughs> But at the same time, like when you listen to the dialogue and you watch the flow from scene to scene, I can also kind of imagine this thing being written in one draft because <laughs> there's there's a kind of naturalism about it. Like, despite the fact that sometimes they're speaking in these strange uh, sort of expository dialogues and they're talking about weird archaeolo- archaeological ex- like excavations and all of these digs and and sometimes kind of technical nuanced language but not a lot it still seems like it's just like it just birthed itself in a sort of like just kind of permanent like state like it was there like it was just there ready to be done and it's weird i can't explain it It just feels like like it what it didn't go through a normal process a normal gestation like a movie did like it was more like getting into weird things here, but like the, the goddess Athena just formed fully, fully grown out of Zeus's head. That's what I feel about this movie. Like it's just, it just happened and it's there and it's done. I, I think maybe part of that is, you know, everything I've read, they said they did stick very closely to the script, but then there's all the famous scenes where they were like Harrison Ford mm-hmm. ad libbed things. And that maybe added that organic element a bit to it too. I mean, and it, it seems like everybody involved, just was having a ball making this movie. I mean, it, other than the fact they had dysentery and food poisoning and, <laughs> <laughs> and all that stuff, uh, you know, those those type of things. But they still still seem like they had a great a great time, you know. Other than other than being you know near death sick, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It's just it's. I actually had written down in the few notes I have that said, yeah, this movie is. There's absolutely no fat on this movie. Uh, the same thing you said, Rob. So yeah, yeah I'm total. Total agreement there. It says something very revealing that uh, Harrison Ford, known crank Harrison Ford, is always willing to do an indie movie. I mean, he, I mean, he yeah. seems to really disregard Star Wars. Uh, maybe now not so much, but you know what I mean. For for for, for decades, he was like that Star Wars. But you're, hey, you want to do another indie movie? Yeah, sure, I'll do another indie movie. <laughs> and that's probably pretty hard yeah. to get him to have that reaction to anything. Other than you want to go crash your plane? Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> I mean, that says something about it. But, I mean, in terms of the dialogue, like that scene, that opening scene with Belloc, the li- Belloc says, you know, a line which I have used in many, many cases, ironically, because I've never felt this way about anybody. Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. That tells you everything you need to know about Belloc. Mm-hmm. You're done. I get it. I get this guy. He's cocky. He's the evil doppelganger of Indiana Jones. And it's like you're able to distill an entire villain in one line. Mm-hmm. Like that's remarkable. Yeah. That is such economy of screenwriting. So um, we should get into a little bit of the specific characters because this movie, aside from Indiana Jones, which is one of the, one of the great movie creations of all time, this movie is just filled with great, great characters. And we've got, of course, dear to my heart, Marion Ravenwood, the fan, <laughs> my beloved Marion Ravenwood, played by the even more beloved Karen Allen. She is a perfect uh, companion to Indiana Jones. She is right out of a Howard Hawks movie. Uh, she can kick ass. She is, but she's at the same time, she's sensitive. She's beautiful. I love it in the scene on the, the street in Cairo where the, the swordsmen start attacking. She immediately picks up a metal can and just starts bashing guys in the head. Uh, I mean, Belloc, to me, is one of the great screen villains of all time. And, you know, you don't need a fancy costume. You don't need superpowers. To ha- He's just a French guy. You know? <laughs> he's just a French guy in a white suit. But he's so compelling. Uh, Sala, played by John Rice davies the best pal anybody's going to have in a movie. He delivers all the laughs. He's got your back, you know, and even when, you know, oh, my friends, I'm so pleased you're not dead. Perfect. You know, another thing. Marcus, Marcus Brody, played by Denim Elliott. I mean, it's like all of these side guys are just so perfectly realized from beginning to end. I mean, there are, what guy, like Chris, what's, do you have a particular favorite outside of indie of, of these characters? I, you know, I, I like, of course, I'm, I'm not going to take Marion away from you, but I, I really do. <laughs> that is wise. <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not going to get no, – I'm not going to do that. But I really do like – and I know the word agency is – I'm just so sick of hearing that word agency. But, but you know, when before female characters in movies often had agency, she really does. I mean, she – you know, I love it when she like whacks the guy in the head with the frying pan. You just hear whang, you know, bang, and then she drags him in. And I mean, you know, there's just and, and and but at the same time, there's some great comedic moments like in the in the and with all the snakes and she's like climbing on Indy's back. And I mean, like her legs are wrapped around his neck. And I mean, it's just I mean, there's, she's got great comedic timing and. It, it, I mean, she's just fantastic in, in this movie in particular, but, I mean, she's always great. But I've always liked the character of uh, of Marcus. Uh, I liked him in uh, Last Crusade, too. I thought he was he, – he mixed in well with uh, with Connery and, and, and Ford in that one. And I like, like Dan Holm Elliott and about everything. So, yeah, I, I liked him. And there, there's nobody that you can't – I mean, I like Sala, too, of course, you know. So it, 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 how can you not like him? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like – She's just all too great. One of the things about Marion I always thought that was so interesting was that they originally crafted her to be like a Bond girl. That was their idea was that – and that's why she's replaced and that's why you've got Willie in the second movie and uh, I forget the name of the character in the third one, the, the one Allison Duty Elsa. played. Elsa, yeah, Elsa. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original idea was that there would be a different indie girl the way they have a Bond girl and I think they did their job too well. Because by the time when it came time to make the fourth movie, everybody was like, "Just bring Marion back." <laughs> uh, you know, she was clearly. The, I mean, I remember being a kid and seeing Temple of Doom in the theater and going, "Why, why, why isn't Marion in this movie? Why am I watching this screaming woman? Was it, give me, <laughs> give me, give me Marion Ravenwood." But I mean, that was the original conception. Was oh, you know, we'll replace them every movie, and it's like, well, no, you created somebody so good. I mean, she's a great drinking partner. Are you saying <laughs> she was your first crush? Yeah, like, I guess just... so. It's like you, you, you're like you just want to spend time with this person. Well, I was thinking about Belloc, but also, and I'll, I'll zero in on him in a minute. But there's sort of a triptych of villains here. We get a sort of villain trinity between Belloc, uh, Dietrich, the sort of head Nazi officer in this, and then this creepy guy who always just scared the hell out of me, Major Tote or Toth, whatever is like he's just. There's something really weird and unsettling about this guy. He's so sweaty, and <laughs> he's played. He, what, what is the actor's name? Richard Lacey. Ronald. Ronald. Ronald Lacey. Lacey. Yeah. Um, he's a British actor playing a German Gestapo officer. I always thought there was something vaguely Asian about his appearance in the movie, but he's in this black suit and he's just like this mean, nasty enforcer and torturer, and he just like. Like sweaty and oozes kind of disgust, but there's also I, I like this was one of the first times where I saw a group of bad guys, and I was able to recognize that these guys each have their own agenda and they're not all lining up. Like before that, most of the times when I saw big, it's like okay, they're all terrorists uh, taking over Nakatomi. They're all on the same, you know, <laughs> they're all on the same team. They're all the Decepticons. They all want basically the same thing. This is when I was like, no. Belloc and the Nazis are not on the same side exactly. They're using each other for mutual gain. And when Belloc screws up, Tote starts laughing at him. <laughs> and there's all these mm-hmm. like, things going on. And it's just, I-, I loved it. And there's this scene towards the end when uh, Indy has a bazooka, a rocket launcher, aimed at the at the Ark, and he's threatening to blow it up if they don't let Marion away. And you look in the background of that scene, Major Tote just sits down on a rock. <laughs> and he's, like, wiping the back of his neck with a car, and he's just like, I don't care. I don't want to be... It's too hot. Why am I wearing black leather trench coat? <laughs> so, all, yeah, all of the villains that I just love. And, and you talked about how Belloc, his essence has boiled down in that first scene. But they have, like, two more scenes throughout the movie between him and Indy where they reinforce this when when Indy thinks that Marion is killed when they're in Cairo at this right. bar and Belloc tells him is like you're just a shadow of me it would only take a little nudge to push you over to the dark side that's the other thing he actually says to push it to for you to lose the faith Belloc has no illusions about who he is or what he's doing he knows that he's not a purist. He's not in this for the sake of discovery. He wants power and, and he thinks knowledge is that power but he's out for himself and the awareness that he has and the fact that he's able to call Indy's bluff in the penultimate scene is incredible. Like, 
Indy challenges him and and he makes Indy back down. <laughs> That's incredible for your villain to do that. Because the because Indy doesn't beat him. Indy doesn't win in their battle. It's ultimately his own greed and his own ambition that brings him down. Yeah, but, I mean, Belloc likes Indy. He likes yeah, it. He, he, he has re- this respect for him. Yeah, yeah. And he likes Marion. When Marion gets pushed into the pit with the snakes, he freaks out. He, he like, screams no after mm-hmm. her like the hero would. And he's like, she was mine. What did you do that for? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he's actually got some, I'm sorry, he's got some dimension to him, obviously, there. I mean, you know, they, they could have made him just be a total sleaze bag with Marion, and he's not. I mean, you know, that that's what I thought was interesting is, you know, he is, he's obviously a, a very, you know, ruthless individual, but he has some class about him, you know, which, you know, I like that. I like, and I also like the fact that they foreshadow in that first scene, which in a way does the, you know, the whole deal in, in South America works as a James Bond, like, you know, opening scene that's not really related to the rest of the movie. Uh, you know, it foreshadows, hey, he's going to get the, the arc, too, from him. You know, I mean, when it, you know, I mean, they're setting it up. He just waits for Andy to do all the work, then pops up and yeah. steals it from it. <laughs> <laughs> I, which, I like that. Which belies that whole thing that went around that it's like, oh, Indiana Jones is indifferent to the plot of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a complete and utter nonsense because it's it's been revealed. Yeah, Belloc just follows Indy and then just steals it. That, that's what Belloc yeah. does. I mean, he's, you know, it's like the, the, the whole reason the Nazis get anywhere is because they're following Indy. You know, the, 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 there's the Nazi on the plane with him in the beginning of the movie, for Pete's sake. So, yeah. Yeah, and the, the funny thing you mentioned about Tote, Ryan, is that Tote feels like, in terms of visual, he's like Darth Vader. Yeah. He's a giant Darth Vader shape. He's all black. He wanders into the frame. You know he's about to torture somebody when he shows up. Uh, they do, although they are willing to have a few jokes at his expense. I mean, it's the whole bit with the hanger where he's got the chain and they think he's going to torture them and he's just there. But, I mean, yeah, it's like he is a really imposing, creepy figure. Uh, he, d- he does look a little Asian. I mean, I think he has a kind of a Mr. Moto look. Um, a sort of yeah. Peter Peter Laurie playing Mr. Moto kind of feel to him. Yeah, I like I until I was old enough to like research and find out who he was and everything. Like I just I assumed there was some sort of weird like he was the because it was World War Two. Like he was the Japanese like aspect of the film. Like the yeah, the, the Germans, the French. Like basically, there, is there some sort of xenophobic thing about, about the movies that all of the villains are like European? I, I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the guy we we should mention the other the guy playing the Dietrich the head Nazi because that guy that guy really doesn't get mentioned a whole lot because he just I think between Belloc and and Tote uh, he's just not as uh, what his name is Wolf Kaler that's 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 the actor's <laughs> name not the, not the wow. character yeah Wolf Kaler how could you not cast him as a Nazi he's fantastic I mean he's just I love it on the the, the scene on the boat with Katanga. And he calls him a savage. It's like, you're a Nazi. Who are you to call anybody names? What's the matter with you? But you feel like he's there to keep the villain's plot progressing. He's there to keep them on track. Because if not... It would just descend into into some sort of weird uh, strife between Belloc and Tote. I love when he's celebrating that they've got the Ark, and Belloc is like, "We're not celebrating until we are far away from here." Mm-hmm. And then when all the all the crap blows up at the at the uh, the air the landing strip, and the, the the tank blows up, and you just hear Belloc go. Jones, like he just yeah. knows it's Indiana Jones, <laughs> even though they buried him underground. He's like, I know it. I know we should have just shot him. We should have just pointed a machine gun down into the ground and fired at him. But instead, we did a James Bond thing. We let him live, and now, of course, he's out blowing shit up. So I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, it's 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 creating Indiana Jones is great enough, but then to fill it with all of these wonderful characters. It's just again, you like you, you like you were talking about Ryan springing from the head of of Zeus. It feels like that. It's like how do you make a screenplay this good? How does that? How does that? The work of mere mortal people to do and, that. And I think like the serial that the serials that inspired this, and and looking at the story structure, the way this movie is is constructed, it's amazing. You can, it's so easy to just break this up into chapters. You could. Oh yeah. You could show this in like eight to ten minute segments, like before cartoons or something like a Saturday matinee or mm-hmm. something like anytime, and it would just flow perfectly. But 
in doing so, it also feels like this could be a sequel. Like, this feels just like a, a middle chapter yeah. in the life oh, of Yeah, oh, they all know character. each other like, by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, they have their histories. Like, we come yeah. in, he's already on this adventure. It's like, yeah, these guys, it's like, yeah, he's he's been there already. He's done this. Like, we don't, this isn't an origin story. We never get the Indiana Jones origin story until the third one, and it's very contrived. Um, and, and I think that's why this one works, because, yeah, he, this is this is any given Sunday for Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you yeah. know, I think it. it I was going to say, you know, just thinking about it, you said chapters. This feels like it was adapted from a book series. I mean, because you have that, you kind of have that feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. But it feels like it's like that. This world already existed before they ever started shooting, and that that's what I mean. It, it it's kind of like uh, in Doctor No. I mean, you've already got even when James Bond first walks in to see Miss Moneypenny, they're already doing the, the back and forth they do. And when he leaves, M's like, you know, you know, can the usual chit chat with Miss Moneypenny get to work? You know? So it's like, even though that's the first movie, it's like, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's not the first movie. And that of course was based on a series of books. That's what this feels like. It feels like this existed for years and they're just adapting it and they're pulling out the, you know, the, the best parts and stuff, but no, it's just a, completely original other than being based on the serials yeah it's it would be an interesting idea to watch it in the in that chapter form it would be you know chapter one gave retrieving the idol chapter two the government arrives chapter three you know like marion's bar it really does have that moving from bit to bit to bit scene but yet it all hangs together so un, perfectly time to, to to get into that in terms of favorite scenes this movie has i've mentioned this before on on this show and on other shows Again, I'm mentioning Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks' formula was a good movie has three great scenes, no bad scenes. That was his formula. This movie has no bad scenes, and it has, like, nine great <laughs> scenes. But do you have, like, is there one that you think that you look at and say, that's my, oh, as good as this whole movie is from beginning to end, there's one sequence that's like a little bit better than the rest? I, you know, I think, I know everybody always mentions it, but but the deal with the Cairo swordsman, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it it's just, I mean... And that's like my dad still brings up that scene. That's his favorite scene, you know. And 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 that's another reason why I love these movies so much. And and Cindy's dad was a huge Indiana Jones fan, and my dad would sit down and watch those movies with me. So that was cool. But that was my dad's favorite scene, and so it's one of mine. But I mean, we all know the story that this guy had worked at this elaborate fight, <laughs> choreographed this fight scene with to to have with Harrison Ford, and he was going to use the whip against him and. Harrison Ford had food poisoning like everybody else and felt awful. And he's like, I just shoot the son of a bitch. <laughs> and so what's Indy do? <laughs> that is what somebody would do. But I don't think anybody in Hollywood had ever done that before. They like, throw their gun down and like put their fists up or they grab a sword out of a, you know, basket or something or, you know, or it's like, no, they just shoot him. He's got a gun on it. You know? <laughs> like, and I just love that scene. That and the, the truck chase is just freaking awesome. I mean, that's, those two are probably my two favorite scenes. Oh, the truck chase is crazy. I mean, that's just insane. I mean, in a movie with so many actions, you're like, you're going to stick this in there too. You're going to have Indy drag behind the truck on his wrist. Like, oh my lord! But yeah, the swordsman thing—it's great because it feels like it's Spielberg sticking his elbow in your ribs a little because it's like, oh, we, we, okay, all right, we're going to see this big. Oh, I guess we're not going to see that. <laughs> you know, like, it's, okay, <laughs> let's just move on to the next thing. He just shoots the guy dead. <laughs> they made an action figure out of that guy too. I was like, what kind of kid yeah. are you going to do with that? He just is like. Power action. He it's falls like over, you know? I mean, what are you going to do with him? It's like Jor-El, you know? It's dying action, you know? <laughs> do you have one? Uh, it, I, I rewatched it. I thought really hard about it. I think it is actually the truck scene. 
Um, and it's it's set up in the scene before that when the Nazis load the, the Ark on the truck and they're looking, the, the heroes Indy, Marion, and Sala are watching it go and he's like, I'm going after that truck. And Sala's like, how? And I don't know, I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> Beautiful end. And then you see him, he gets on a horse and he rises, or he rides off of it and like this crowd of people is following him and you don't know if they're following him because he stole their horse or... I, I don't know, there, because there's like this swell of John Williams's music in that moment with the march that it feels very much like the people's champion. Like they're running to be with him. They're like, yeah, go, say, like, stop these evil people who are looting our history. So it, it feels like he's on a quest and there's something really cool about it. And, but then you get into the mechanics of that chase and how he jumps on the truck and the fight choreography, everything that's going on. But I think what makes all of that work is a half an hour earlier we had the scene that Chris was talking about. We saw him just pull the gun and shoot the guy with the swordsman. Because that tells you he's not invincible super action hero. He's a practical man, and he's going to do the easiest possible thing he can in order to survive this battle or get what he needs to do. Which tells you that in this crazy fight and truck chase and everything, this isn't a contrived moment that any superhero would do. This is this is just something that he, he has to do because this is the only way to get it. And there's, again, boils down to this sort of real naturalism about this fight. And the fact that he gets thrown out of the, the out of the front windshield and like falls underneath the grill and he's, he's dragged behind like by his whip, like just being pulled out over gravel. You can tell that it's painful. It's visceral. It's yeah, it's all just really good. I just it, it it's it doesn't have the the polish of so many of like great dialogue moments, but that's Indiana Jones, that whole sequence. Oh man, when he gets shot in the arm and mm-hmm. then the, and then the Nazi guy punches him in the yeah. arm, like, oh, oh that had to hurt so much. Like, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you, you were talking about him being very fallible, and that I think that's one thing that, that really sticks out about Indy. I love when not to jump in on another scene, but when he's fighting, you know, the, they're all trying to get on that plane and uh, the the German wing plane, and you know, he knocks, he fights with the pilot up front, and then here comes the big German, the bald mechanic guy, you know, and he he just and he just looks at him and just he's laying on the wing of the plane, he just kind of slumps over like, oh shit, I gotta fight this guy, dude, god damn, this guy's gigantic, you yeah, know, and he tries and to trick slowly. him, he like yeah. points at his shoes or something and then takes a swing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that when he, he the Indy punches that guy a bunch of times to no effect, and then that guy gets one shot in, and Indy's <laughs> knees buckle, and he just falls over like in a heap, and I his just, lip is split. Yeah, I love that that it's like, look, there's the Indy's not a match for this guy. That that's the end of this fight. Yeah, when he when he's on the wing of the plane and he waves his hand like, okay, 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 I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, this was this was a note that I made, and I was think we were going to get to it later, but this is the perfect time to mention it. Is that, and I'll get to my favorite scene, of course. But like, again, this is, and I don't mean to to keep running down James Bond because I love James Bond. I've always loved James Bond. I've seen every James Bond movie multiple times. Well, not the Brosnan ones, but I've seen all the <laughs> James Bond movies multiple times. But this is something where I think. The inspiration was let's do our version of James Bond and then the guys ended up doing something to me a little better because Indy is so vulnerable in this movie. I mean he's an impossible hero. He's brave and he's smart and he's all these things that none of us could ever uh, be maybe Siskoid. But none of us could possibly be. (laughs) And like but like the idea that like he has those vulnerabilities early on when in the opening scene with the throw me the idol, I throw you the whip, give me the whip, you know, and Doc Octopus runs off and he grabs <laughs> he grabs that vine and you, you see the close up of him and he's like, I got this. The vine's going to pull me up. And then the vine starts pulling out of the wall and he's like, oh, then he starts falling. <laughs> like you never saw James Bond ever do that. Nothing like that ever happens to James Bond where it's like, oh, the, the circumstances have got the better of him. I mean, in this movie, uh, Marion sucker punches Indy. That that big bald Nazi beats the living crap out of him, and he only beats him by luck with the propeller plane. Um, when Indy is stowing away in the in the the tube or whatever that is, the the, the smokestack of the the, mm-hmm. the ship, that Nazi throws a cigarette on him without even knowing. Uh, I mean, and even and, and even during a calm scene where they're in the the, the 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 cabin, and he gets hit in the chin with the mirror by <laughs> poor Marion, like. 
there's so much crap happens to him, and he just doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be there. Like you said, that scene with the shooting, the shooting the swordsman. He doesn't want to fight. He really doesn't. He has to. But when he has an escape hatch, he's going to use it. Mm-hmm. Well, you think when he's in the Nazi, like the sub base, and he like knocks out one of the guards to like steal his clothes, yeah. and they don't fit. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. Just like struggling with just like, of course, the, yeah. The one guy you knock out is just going to happen to be your correct size, yeah. and he gets caught while he's trying to put the the, the shirt on or, or the jacket, and he's like, ah, uh, and he's just kind of like rolling his eyes when he takes out the second guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. It's just it's. Indy is just – he's put upon and mm-hmm. he's willing to do these things because he has to because he wants to get these antiquities. But – and that – I think that's something that they – that had to come from the screenplay and it had to come from Harrison Ford. It was just that that vulnerability and it's that, that confidence to be the hero but to show that you are not infallible. That's part of the reason that made Harrison Ford Harrison Ford and one of the great movie mm-hmm. stars of all time. You know, I mean, I think I honestly think in, in 20 to 30 years, Harrison Ford will be among the people of the great movie stars of all time. You know, like the Humphrey Bogarts and the Gary Coopers and Harrison Ford will be in there because it's like even even just on Han Solo, that would have been enough. But here he is playing, you know, another amazing, iconic figure. But before I forget, because i got to get to my favorite scene, and this is in a movie full of great scenes, my favorite scene has got to be, of all things, the exposition mm-hmm. with Porkins and uh, the <laughs> other guy who show up with, and they want to know what's going on. Most movies that have scenes of exposition – it is the, the movie makers are having a deal with the audience. Okay, audience, we got to get through this. The good stuff's coming later. The robots are going to smash each other later on. That's what you're here to see. But we got to get to this part. But to me, I could watch a whole movie of them just talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the way that Indy and uh, Marcus dub- finish each other's sentences, uh, the way they interject each other, you know, where it's like, Indy's talking about some particular guy, and then you have uh, Marcus go, Sheshak. And he's, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And they go on, and then he's like, you know, what about Abner Ravenwood? And, and he's like, uh, the whole thing about the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Didn't you ever guys go to Sunday school? I mean, like that. And Indy, Indy has that impossibly giant book with the, with the lock on it. And, like, the whole bit about, like, you know, when the, when the older guy says, Now, what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire power of god or something like he's just so dismissive of it i like i'm like i could watch these guys talk about this crap for an hour i really could and like a for a movie that is all action the fact that there's a 10 minute sequence of just a bunch of guys in suits talking and like i could just watch that all day i'm like that says something even the exposition scene is so compelling and again back to that screenplay just ironclad and I actually I, – I love that scene too. I love it just as much. But the scene that follows that when it's just Marcus and Indy back at Indy's home, I like that scene also. And because there's one moment where the, at the end of the scene when Marcus kind of brings it down and he just says – Nearly 3,000 years man has been searching for the lost ark. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. He implies there are greater stakes in this movie, which I think is sort of pre, like maybe plants the seed in your mind, which is why when the movie reaches its fantastic and, and supernatural climax, I think you kind of roll with it, even though we haven't seen anything of this sort in the movie yet. And I think it's because of the of Marcus's one line planted an hour and a half earlier, when he just says, "There's something more to this. The idol, like nobody knows the secrets of this thing. People have died for this for a reason." And and at the time, Indy just kind of laughs him off. He's like, "What are you talking? You're talking like my like a, my grandmother or something." And he tries to be pragmatic about it. And then you see that he has to change his attitude when he's confronted with it. So. Yeah, again, just like those little bits of exposition in that sets in the setup in the first act really pay off down the road later on in weird ways. But I loved learning uh, when I was doing some research for this in that scene where we show up at Indy's house that originally we were supposed to see that Indy had a girl there that was <laughs> staying over for the <laughs> night, 
and it was Spielberg that cut that. And Spielberg said, "No, no, no, that that change that doesn't. It's too much of a playboy. I you know, I don't want it to be so that. And they never shot it." But apparently that was originally supposed to happen is that Marcus gets there and Indy's in his robe because he was mm-hmm. had a girl over and they decided to, to cut all that, which ended up making a whole lot of sense. But you're right about that scene. I mean, the, the, this movie ends with, you know, this amazing scene of, of the supernatural. And the reason to me it works is because up until this point, you've been told a bunch of times and Indy's been told this is something crazy. Like, I mean, there's a scene with Sala where Sala says men have died for it. Men like – Mm-hmm. He's being told over and over again, this is bigger than just some little trinket you're going to find. This is the hand of God that you're trying to find, and, and it it's dangerous. And even for people with good intentions, it's very dangerous. And yeah, so that means, again, it's 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 exposition laid in perfectly so it just feels natural. And then it, when you get to that final scene, you're like, oh, now I get why how dangerous this is. You guys are messing around with this thing, and of course, there's that brief scene of we see the ark inside the uh, the crate, and it burns the side of the crate open, and smoke, and all that rats are running in the other direction. It says, "Yeah, again, it's it's laid in perfectly. It really is." Well, even even Belloc kind of helps sell the supernatural aspect because because he's not a mustache twirling, scenery chewing villain. When he says it's a transmitter to God, you can almost kind of believe him if this guy believes it there's something to it you know it's like because he's not you know he's not a crazy you know maniacal laughing villain you know he's just a he's a smooth operator so he helps sell it him and him and marcus help sell it even though we don't see any supernatural stuff till the end of the movie yeah i mean he takes it very seriously and that, that was funny i mean as as, as uh, bad as uh and we'll I don't know. I don't want to drag down the other movies, but like kind of as bad as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is and it kind of is bad. Um, the one criticism that I didn't take to heart was like people were like, oh, God, aliens, really? Like that's so unrealistic yeah. for the Indiana Jones movie. And I'm like, did you guys see the first movie? <laughs> the first movie has avenging angels in it for Pete's sakes. I don't think that aliens are any more ridiculous a concept. Now, I know like a lot of things, it's how you handle it. And I think if Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had been a lot better to that point – People would have been more accepting of the aliens concept. But, I mean, this movie literally has angels that turn into demons in front of your eyes. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And we got to get to that ending. That scared the living crap out of me as a kid. <laughs> so, first of all, I mean, for God's sakes, the way they got around the movie being R, because apparently there was a much more explicit scene of Belloc's head exploding. <laughs> Was they just, they just put some more flame in front of it, and that apparently morphed it, uh, blocked it out enough to, to mollify the sensors. But that, just, I mean, first of all, Dietrich melt, Dietrich having all the air sucked out of him, yeah, is horrific. But yeah. that thing of tote melting <laughs> is beyond anything. And it's like, again, we don't, you don't need CGI <laughs> to make something that haunted my dreams. For many years, watching that guy melt into nothingness. That is, it's just, who thinks of that? And I would <laughs> imagine being the guy that has to make that come true. Have you figured that out? You got to take a big cast of Ronald Lacey's face. They're like, okay, and we're going to make him out of wax. Then we're going to melt it. We're going to run it back at double speed. Like, oh, man. It, and all the blood shoots. It, it's like, for as, as violent as Raiders is, and it is, there's a lot of blood in it. People get bloody faces and the guys that that is just such a kick in the crotch to watch those three guys just get it so badly <laughs> you know the scene that actually scared me when i was a kid was when they were in the pit with the snakes when uh, indy like knocks over the statue and it breaks through the wall and he kind of disappears for a couple seconds and marion chases him and all of the skeletons and everything start falling on her and all these ancient corpses oh and yeah like, and, she, and they're like screaming there's this weird like you hear like the the howls of the dead and everything and she's losing her mind that scared me until the very end when they do this close-up of one of the skeletons with a snake crawling out of its mouth. Yeah. It's, like a, it's a gross moment, but for some reason, even when I was a kid, when it lingered on that image, I thought it was silly. And it like, mm. kind of deflated how scared I was previously. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that scene only scared me until the really shocking moment at the end that I think was supposed to be the biggest punch. And that was, I was kind of like, eh, that snake. I love the idea that the well, of, the well of the souls has you know the the holes in it for the snakes to come through, and I'm like, who, who builds that? 
What kind of crazy person builds a room like that? Like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> my, son, my son Andrew today said, you know, they could survive down there. It's like there's air and they could eat the snakes. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> a- Andrew's a tougher man than me. I'd be like, I'm just going to die here. I'm going to let this King Cobra bite me, even though I know there's that plexiglass between us. I'm going to let him. And, you know, I hate the fact that on DVD they took that plexiglass out. I hate that. I, I liked seeing that little imperfection. I know if you're Steven Spielberg, you're like, no, it, I got to fix it. But I always liked that you saw just for a half second that little bit of glass between them because it's like, come on. We all know that you didn't really dump Harrison Ford in front of a King Cobra. You know, I mean, we know that. Jeez. Just, you know, just be glad he didn't replace his gun with a walkie talkie. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's don't even get on that. <laughs> Hey, today there never would have been a live snake in that entire sequence. That's true. Oh, no, they would, they, they would have been filming that on an empty set. Yeah. Oh, God. I guess it's worth worth talking about a little bit briefly as we're sort of winding down a little on this. Is like there, have, of course, been a lot of other indie projects over the years, and it took me a while to, to realize that. And I, I feel guilty about saying this because I always assumed that I was an Indiana Jones fan. And I look and I go, you know, I don't know how much of an Indiana Jones fan I am. I think I'm a Raiders fan because I really don't think Temple of Doom is very good. I like Last Crusade. I Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is pretty terrible. I never liked Young Indiana Jones. And I never read any of the books. And I never really liked too many of the comic books. And that, and it's like, okay, if there is, you know, four movies – and two comic book series and a TV series, and you really only like one and a half of the movies. I don't know how much of a fan I really am. <laughs> I really think I'm a fan of Raiders because it's just I, yet all these all these other projects just haven't done it for me. Uh, I mean, what about you guys? Like Chris, like do you like is Raiders your favorite of the? I mean, we're gonna some of the other Raiders indie movies we'll probably do on the show, and they deserve their own episodes. But just sort of briefly, like, is this your favorite of the indie movies? Uh, actually, it's not. <laughs> I actually like Last Crusade best. I mean, I, I think I, under, I understand that Raiders is probably the superior film, but maybe it's because I saw Last Crusade in the theater, and I just love the interplay with, with Ford and, and Sean Connery. And it's just so cool that they, Sean Connery was Indiana Jones' dad. Who else could have been Indiana right, Jones' right. dad but Sean Connery? Because I just, I mean, it's freaking Sean Connery. But <laughs> I, I really, I like that movie, and I'm a sucker for Arthurian legend and and you know that it ties into all that is it's uh, I'm a I'm just a sucker for that movie I, I think it's I think it's the closest in spirit to Raiders too it just has that kind of that similar feel I, I think you know Temple of Doom's fun but it's it's just like let's see how gross we can be because everybody liked the skull melting at the end of, <laughs> at the yeah, end of Raiders yeah. you know the, it's like they just went a little too far on the gross meter I don't dislike crystal skull like some people do and partially because so what you said so many people thought the alien bit was so hokey and i i'm not going to repeat the, i felt the same way it's like did you see the other films come on there's a ghost that's been in last crusade there's a freaking ghost that's been waiting for yeah. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years for somebody to show up there's the melting faces you know there's people's hearts getting ripped out in temple of doom and stuff so you know i mean it's it, i don't think it's as awful as some people say it is but yeah i gotta go with last crusade i i wanted to like the young indiana jones chronicles but it was just boring it was boring i can't yeah. help it it was just boring the, the only time i ever hunt down any episode of young indiana jones chronicles is the one with harrison ford yeah because it's like oh it's indy it's real indy again with his salt and pepper beard like that those are the that's the one i watch and even then i don't even watch the stuff without harrison ford I watched the beginning and the ending with Harrison Ford because it's like it's Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones again. I mean, Ryan, where are you on where are you on the Indian films? Uh, Raiders is my favorite. I think Raiders is technically the best, but like Chris, I mean, uh, the Last Crusade is a really close second. Um, I think the Last Crusade is maybe the most fun, um, and maybe that's because it, it has a little bit more of a lighthearted quality. Um, I, I think. Temple of Doom is the opposite. It embraces so many of the tropes of Indiana Jones, but it loses the fun. It loses the humor and the heart. Uh, There are scenes that are played for laughs, but I think a lot of them fall flat. Um, And I'm okay. Let's not. Let's. I'm talking about Billy. I'm talking about the the woman in the movie. It's it's the scenes with her that I think fall flat. 
Um, I saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull once in the theater. I don't really remember it. I know I watched Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I don't remember them. Um, I've read one or two of the comics. But I don't... I, I don't think that like, I would segment I, – I wouldn't say that I'm less of a fan of the genre just because uh, I, I don't love everything. Uh, I'm not going to split hairs that way. I love the concept of him. I want to see more of him well, to an extent. Uh, whether or not they make more <laughs> movies with the same cast, I don't know if I want that. But yeah, I, I consider myself an Indiana Jones fan even if I only liked one of the movies. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I love Last Crusade. Yeah, I love Last Crusade too, and I like a lot of Temple of Doom. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Did you guys? Did either of you guys have? I, you, I think you're, you're. Since I'm older than both of you guys, you guys probably missed them both. But like, did you ever have any of the indie toys? I, I never knew there was a toy line when I was a kid. I would have loved to have an indie action figure. He, he totally would have been teaming up with Han Solo. And doing stuff, but like I, I literally have no memory of ever seeing Indiana Jones toys. I, I seem like I remember seeing like some of the the uh, like the Cairo swordsman and the, the German mechanic and, and and those guys hanging on the pegs. But I don't think I ever found an Indiana Jones figure because even though I hadn't seen the movie yet when it was out in theaters, I might have went after that, you know. But I, I don't remember seeing him or. Uh, you know, Marion or any of those characters. It was always the the bad guy, peg warmers hanging there with Secret Wars Kang. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> they they did make a Marion Ravenwood action figure, which I would kill to have, but it's like apparently on the card, it's like four hundred dollars. I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not willing to pay that just to just to have something to put on my wall. But I just, you know. That's the only Karen Allen action figure they're going to make until they do the Starman or Animal House line. So, I mean, I, I really I really want to own it, but I don't think that's ever really going to happen. You don't think they're doing Mego Scrooged lines? <laughs> I would buy it. I would buy all those toys. Um, yeah. Now, I, you, you know, Ryan, you mentioned about another movie. Of course, there is the news that they are making Indy 5. They're going to flat out do it. Harrison Ford's going to be very old by that point. Uh, I mean, what do we think about that? Are we looking forward to it, or are we kind of going, uh, okay, you know, where where are you guys on that? Uh, I can, you know, it's it's just one of those cases where they're going to really have to work hard on the front end to make the back end of that work. I mean, it's just, <laughs> uh, I mean, if they just show up and say, hey, we got a script, let's do it, they really need to do what they did with this movie, apparently, and polish the thing to the you know, to the ends of the earth and get it, just get it super shiny before they ever start rolling cameras because yeah, they're, they're on shaky ground there. I think I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I think it's a mistake. Um, when I saw kingdom of the crystal skull, which was what, 10 years ago now. Um, even then I thought Harrison looked too old or he seemed too old. And, and for somebody who, who always said that he wanted to play the part again, and he was just waiting for everybody to kind of be on the same page, and he was looking forward to that, I thought he looked like he was sleepwalking through most of that fourth movie, and like he didn't care, and he wasn't putting any effort into it. So I can't imagine that changing now. And I also, part of it is the timeline. I don't think Indiana Jones works in the atomic age. I don't think you can tell stories of him after World War II. Even the movies that we get, they're all set in the 30s, and I think that's where it belongs. Um, and I, Rob, you were going to ask this. I don't think Indy needs to be fighting Nazis, but I think you need some element of that pulp atmosphere and that pulp time period, you know, pre-atomic age, you know, before aliens, before the atomic bomb, just uh, like old school occult dark magic and, and sorcery and, and ancient relics and, and and that type of world. Um, so if they were going to do a new one, I, I would want it set then, and I think that means recasting him. And I really can't think of anybody else who could play him. I don't want to see Chris Pratt play the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I... I completely understand Spielberg's notion that post Schindler's List, he can't do comical Nazis. I, I completely get that. I mean, he's probably just like I feel like you know he's like I've I've aged past that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I don't Indy fighting the Russians or somebody I, that seems like a weird kind of. 
I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. So uh, I'm I'm a little troubled that the screenwriter apparently is David Kep, who wrote the last one. Uh, and my my bigger issue with Indy Five of, of hiring David Kep is like David Kep has been writing big blockbuster Hollywood movies for twenty years. If you go back and you look at his his uh, CV, it's there's no like there's nothing fresh there. You know what I mean? Like there's no movie where you're like, well, that was inventive. It's like He's like a guy that makes a lot of money because I'm sure he can make you a script and it'll be good. It'll be shootable. But there just isn't going to be anything in there that's going to have that that shock of the new or the the feeling of freshness. And that's the part I'm troubled by because this is clearly going to be the last indie movie with Harrison Ford. And I want it to be good. I want it to go out on a high note. I mean I know I didn't like – Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm actually going to rewatch it at some point to do an episode on on the show because I think it deserves a reappraisal. Because I only saw it like you. I saw it one time in a theater and I walked out and went, "That was awful. That was just awful." But it's uh, it's not going to stop me from seeing Indy Five. I will be there the day it comes out because it's Indiana Jones and it's Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg, and um, I, I just love him. I love all the concepts too much to to. You know, to just be like, no, I'm not going to see it. But yeah, it's like really, David Kep, get somebody, get somebody young, get somebody hungry. You know, I think David Kep's been living in the Hollywood Hills for you know all these years. He's a he's a mega rich guy. You know, get somebody who's really young and hungry and is like, man, I could write a really killer Indiana Jones script if you just let me. Let them, you know, like get somebody unusual. And it's kind of sad to me that it feels like David Kep is somebody who like that's like the guy in the next office. You know, oh, he. I, yeah. I don't mean. I don't mean to run the guy down, but it's just it doesn't feel like a very imaginative pick to get that guy to write your movie. Well, is it is it blasphemy to suggest a different director so you can? I was thinking get a group of leftover Nazis that are trying to you know reignite the Third Reich or something, and Indy's called in because who knows Nazis better than Indiana Jones? <laughs> do you? Do you? I mean, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot here, but like, do you have an idea of who you would like to see? That I mean, that's that's an interesting idea because I mean, part of me says it's got to be Spielberg, but at the same time, if Spielberg feels like he's sort of aged out of it, then yeah, then I don't want him see. I don't want him to do it. I mean, I you know, I mean, he he threw Lucas under the bus a little on the last one, saying I shot the movie that I was given. But the move, the movie's not well directed. I mean, for for someone as talented as Steven Spielberg, that movie's tension and pace is is lethally slow. Um, so, I mean, is there anybody you guys think that you would love to see tackle an Indiana Jones movie? I don't know enough about the like the new sort of young, fresh directors who are making that type of movie right now. I mean, it seems like any time I hear of like a new director, it's they're usually involved in a comic book or superhero movie. In which case, it might be really good or it might be awful. And either way, there's so much control being managed by like the studio and the system that I have no idea how much of it is the, the creative spark of the director. Uh, so I have no idea who I would suggest. I can't think of one. But. Disney seems very – um, go ahead. I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I just I know we just talked about Civil War, but I would suggest the maybe the Russo brothers be just just because they can direct one hell of a car chase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know that's not all they need to be able to handle, but they they can handle the the character moments, uh, and and they can add levity to some pretty serious situations, and the action sequences are just fantastic. So. You know, I would suggest maybe maybe them. I, I think they're going to be pretty busy <laughs> with the Marvel films, so I don't think they'd have time. But you know, I think they could could pull it off. What's yeah. Josh Trank doing right now? He might be free. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. God! <laughs> Just don't rent him your house while he's shooting the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Allegedly, allegedly, don't let him bring his dog. Uh, you know, interesting. The thing about Disney, it seems as though Disney has a group of people in there that are really good at finding talent. And that, I mean, I read a, uh, not read, I listened to an interview with the Russo brothers, but they talked about that they got a call from Disney after their couple of their community episodes really popped up, you know, in, into the surf, onto the surface. And they got a meeting with Disney and Disney, according to them, Disney wasn't even looking to hire them for a particular movie. Disney was just like, look, we want to talk to interesting directors to have them on our list in our minds down the line. And so we're not even talking to you guys about a specific project. We just want to meet with you guys. And they were put on some list somewhere, and then when it came time to do Captain America, 
there they were. There they were, and I feel like that that seems to be paying dividends because look who's doing Black Panther, Ryan Coogler. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a guy who did one indie movie that was very well received. He got bumped up to the majors and killed it with Creed, and now he's doing Black Panther. And it makes makes me think, well, Disney must have that farm team in place of let's get a guy who's or or, or woman. I don't mean to be so gender specific, but let's get somebody new, fresh. Who can bring uh, a, 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 again? I'm using the word fresh perspective to these older characters, and so you know, again, I don't Spielberg. It's got to be Spielberg because it's Spielberg and, and Harrison Ford. But at the same time, would it be cool to see Ryan Coogler do an Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, it might be pretty darn cool, you know. So <laughs> who knows? But again, I'll go see it, even though. You know, Harrison Ford will be like 78 by the time he makes this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess as we're, we're winding up here, I want to kind of go right back to, to finish up with Raiders of the Lost Ark because, again, that's what this was this was all about. Um, I, I would put Raiders on my top, like, 15 movies of all time easily. Um, I tend to not have, like, a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It's just a group of 15. There were movies that I would place higher than Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of my all-time, like my top three or four favorites. But Raiders is a movie that I would be sad to know I would never see it again. And that isn't true of some movies that I sort of quote-unquote rate higher. You know, uh, there are my all-time favorite movie, I only watch one every once every five, seven, eight, nine years. I'm just not in the mood to watch it a lot. But Raiders I watch all the time. And it would make me sad to be like, I could never see Raiders again. It's that kind of movie. It would just it makes me feel good when I saw it in the theater for the last time. It just it it made me joyful to see this wonderful story play out in front of me once again and I just never get tired of it. And it's just it's that kind of re- rewarding entertainment. Um it's just that it's it's that kind of thing to me. It, it's just a beloved beloved movie and I just love it to death. And so that's why I was like so excited to be able to talk about it for you know the 35th anniversary. So I mean, do you guys have it? Is that high, is it that high up to you guys? Like, is it among your favorites? Let's start with Chris. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's just a perfect movie. I mean, it, it that I mean, really, uh, character, actor, screenplay, direction. I mean, like you said, there's there's not a bad scene in it, and it's just it's just a perfect little movie. You you just happy after you're done watching it. The theme song stuck in your head. You know the score. I mean the scores, man. I mean the score. It's John Williams, of course, but you know I don't know. It, it, it's you know it's hard to say what's his best. Well, it's right up there. So oh, I like mean, one of the great just, themes of all time, the Indiana Jones theme. Yeah. It just it's like Superman or Star Wars. It's it's just is what uh, Indiana Jones is that music and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was actually I wanted to bring up that point again because Rob, you never talk about the music in movies. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at that. But I, no, I because I, I was going to make that point. The march from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That that music is to my ears the second greatest piece of music ever written for a film, and the first is the main theme from Superman the movie. Hmm. Uh, but I think Raiders is just a notch behind it. But it's like one and one a. Um, yeah, the movie is amazing. It's great. I love it. I don't know where I would rank it all time, but. If I'm like breaking it up by genres, it's probably my favorite pure action movie, uh, favorite pure action adventure. Um, like you know, separating maybe Star Wars might go into like sci-fi fantasy or action fantasy or something like that. But just pure action adventure, Raiders easily number one. Great, love yeah. it. As everyone knows, I'm obsessed with the 1930s and 40s, uh, and this. It was the first instance of, of me learning about that time period was the Justice Society, where the Earth Two comics. That was the beginning of it, and this movie, this this is the first movie I can think of where the architecture, the look, the feeling. I was like, wow, this is a really cool looking time period, and it's I, my love of that uh, of that whole era of Americana. It really does start with this movie. Uh, because it was like the suits, the hat, everybody just looks so cool. I mean, I would love to wear an Indiana Jones hat. I would look a complete idiot if I did, so I'm not going to. But man, it's just what a great looking period of time. It says that the art direction of this movie, everything about it. And it's just, I will, I carry this movie with me my entire life, and I always will. It's just, it's just that important to me, and it's that beloved. So I was very happy that I got to spend as much time 
talking about it again for the 35th anniversary. So, guys, um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show to talk about it. I was really, really uh, happy we got to spend this much time talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thank you. Thank you for having oh, yeah. us. Yeah, thanks. It was a blast. All right. Uh, before we sign off, uh, Chris, where can people find you on the internets? Right here on the Fire and Water Network on Supermates with my wife, Cindy, and on Power Records with you, Rob. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Ryan? Uh, a couple other shows on the Fire and Water Network, the Secret Origins podcast, Power of Fishnets podcast, and Give Me Those Star Wars. And if you go back to the April 1st episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, you can hear me and Nathaniel Wayne talking about more Indiana Jones goodness for our mock Temple of Doom cast. <laughs> oh, speaking of Star Wars, you guys have ever heard the, the theory, right, that Indiana Jones, all the Indiana Jones movies are just a dream that Han Solo was having while he was in Carbonite? I've heard, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's why that's why you see C three PO and R two D two on the wall of the well of the souls, and why there's Club Obi Wan. It's all it's all the stuff leading it. So it all fits together. It's all one big tapestry. Trust me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, of course, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Film and Water Pod. You can use the contact page to reach out to us or leave a comment on the individual uh, show uh, thread. And of course, please leave a review on iTunes for the show. We would super super appreciate it. So again. Chris, Ryan, thanks so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. Indiana Jones and other action figures new from Raiders of the Lost Ark Collection, each sold separately. Watch him, Kyber, swordsman. Yeah, watch my swing. Yikes! All downhill from here, swordsman. You'll be sorry, Jones. Tricky again, Toad. Indiana Jones, Toad, and Cairo swordsman action figures, each sold separately from Raiders of the Lost Ark Collection, new from Kenner.